0: Thank you. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Atlas Information Live. Um, Apologies at the outset, our proper regular microphone, this one, is misbehaving again, or rather, Windows is misbehaving, and as a result, we have to use the microphone in our webcam, so if if you can't hear us or something... I don't know if we can turn it up or anything um it's just our proper microphone just windows does not want to behave today uh we even took extra time to see if uh because we we often have this problem it's last minute and 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 windows just for whatever reason it doesn't recognize it so um in any case so we're working with the microphone that we're working with and um if uh by all means if you can't hear me (laughs) please let me know (laughs) Please let me know in the chat. All right, so I don't know why we keep having this specific technical difficulty, but so it's another test, another challenge. Uh, Welcome, and uh, today, because of uh, the date and the fact that tomorrow is the 31st, we thought it would be appropriate to do a presentation on the esoteric nature of Halloween. Now, truth be told, this uh, holiday, if that's what you want to call it, uh, has very deep and profound uh, esoteric meaning. And just to be honest, we can't do it justice we truly can't uh we simply don't have the breadth of knowledge required uh and the uh the years of study of uh kabbalah and the bible and everything else to put all the different pieces together for you in a complete package not least because that would take well who knows how long it would take four or five hours possibly maybe longer than that that said we can give you, without covering everything, we can give you a condensed, sort of concentrated version, hopefully the need-to-know information. However, we can also direct you to resources which will flesh out uh, the points which we are going to be sharing with you today. And the resources that we will share with you, the links that we will share with you are uh, are from Glorian.org and we will be referring to at least one of them through the course of uh, today's presentation related to the esoteric ritual of the pumpkin gourd. There is a a ritual of white magic that relates to the pumpkin. And we will go through that description from Igneous Rose, the book by uh, Samuel Anoyor. But all that's to come, Let's step back and take a look at what, where does Halloween come from? What are its esoteric origins? Now, the pumpkin itself is possibly, perhaps arguably, but possibly the most universal and prominent symbol associated with halloween yes we have ghosts and witches and all sorts of other monsters and dracula and uh, you know monsters and demons etc and whatnot but truly just as the christmas tree is the dominant symbol of christmas it represents an illuminated tree of life by the way a christmas tree with all of its ornaments and its garlands, the ornaments represent the sephirah of the tree of life, and the garland represents the omnipresent ray of Okidanok, the Christ, as it descends the tree, and ascends the tree, in that zigzag pattern, that's the sig rune, that's that lightning-shaped rune. That's Zeus's lightning, it's also the thunder of Thor. So in a similar way, the pumpkin at Halloween is not just a pumpkin. It is illuminated. Typically, faces are carved into the pumpkin and a candle is placed inside representing illumination. that of that head that illumination comes via the pineal gland which is the only gland of the body associated with the innermost being the pineal and the pituitary glands that's the third eye the eye of horus that illuminated head that illuminated pumpkin is the gourd from the book of Jonah. Now, esoterically, it turns out that the angel, which governs the elementals of nature associated with the pumpkin gourd, and all gourds for that matter, also governs Uh, the waters the ocean so and the gourd representing the head in which is the brain so as you know pumpkins and gourds they're filled with a marrow and that marrow is very wet the pineal gland itself is associated with the sexual organs Um, That's related to Tantra and raising of Kundalini. There's a lot we could get in here and really flesh out, but we're trying to keep things sort of tightly focused for the sake of, uh, for your sake. So in the book of Jonah, if you're familiar with the tale, Jonah is swallowed by a whale. At first, Jonah is instructed to go to... The city of Nineveh, Nineveh, and preach the teachings, and in, inform the city that God is going to destroy the city in forty days. And Jonah, Jonah, uh, uh, balks at this, and he instead he take he goes on a ship, and goes out to sea, and he tries to um, escape this this. This task. And in the course of the story, Jonah is thrown into the ocean. He actually tells the, the sailors because the, the ship is cast upon by a great tempest. And God whips up a tempest against the ship. Now, the ship represents our animal mind, and the other sailors on the ship represent the many voices. In our intellect in our animal mind and then so when the tempest gets whipped up that's all of our egos but it's also the mind itself the winds of the mind get whipped up and all the the sailors go into a panic which is usually what happens to the mind when our emotions get whipped up and uh, we're we're set into danger so jonah says this storm is because of me. It's because i disobeyed god so cast me overboard and all your problems will be solved so they do and jonah goes into the ocean and jonah is swallowed by a whale now in the bible it says fish but it's clear we're talking about a whale here something very large in other words and through the course of events Jonah is eventually vomited out. Jonah spends three days in the belly of the whale. And then he is ordered by God to vomit him out back onto the shore. This symbol, this story, this symbol, directly translates into the many themes and the many images and symbols of Halloween. the belly of the whale represents the bowels of hell that which we need to descend into for three days before we can be released from that hell and of course when we're in the bowels of hell we have to face our many demons our monsters our vampires our werewolves our witches And that descent into hell and to be released from hell involves a death, a psychological death. But also, we can think of the descent into hell as its own kind of death. Because typically when people think about descending into hell, people think about dying and going into hell. And this is related to good friday when jesus was crucified on the cross and when jesus is on the cross many monsters come to taunt him they come to uh torture him torment him while he's on the cross they put they soak a a a sponge in vinegar and they hoist it up on a pole So you think, you know, so their intent is to make him believe that they want to give him some water to ease some of his suffering, but instead they put vinegar on that. This is just one of the many trick or treats which are associated with this day in the biblical context. The name Halloween itself comes from All Hallows' Eve. Hallows literally means saint or sainted one. And Halloween taking place on the 31st of October On the very next day, we have, um, in South America, and Central America, the, the Day of the Dead, or All Saints Day. So All Hallows' Eve is the day that comes before the saints and the, the, the arisen dead, the, all the, uh, the, uh, the arisen saints defeat death. And that's what Jesus does three days after being in the belly of the whale in the bowels of hell for three days october 31st is precisely 40 days after the fall equinox in, on September 21st. Now, 40 is a very important number in the Bible, as you probably know. There's the, uh, Jesus praying for 40 days and 40 nights. There's the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years. They The number 40 is significant and comes up a lot. In the book of Jonah, the Lord says to Jonah, go and uh, instruct the people of Nineveh that I will destroy their city in 40 days. So this 40 is Kabbalistic and it relates to uh, the balancing within us which must take place. The balancing and the mastering of all four elements within the fifth element so the total complete balancing of those four elements that's where the four comes from and uh in all of the ten sephiroth of the tree of life that's where you that's where you get the 40. that's to enter into the Tao, to enter into the absolute and to, to become a an ascended master so this significance of this 40 always relates to resurrected masters, always relates to the path of the Bodhisattva, to those walking the direct path. The name Jonah itself means dove. And the dove is often represented in many, many different traditions by a bird, some... So the hamsad or the swan in Hebrew. Um, and uh, we have the dove, of course. In Greek, it was the eagle. In um, in Egypt, it was the ibis bird. And it represents, that's the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, it's yonah. Um, it's a yod, a noon. Sorry, yod, a vav, a noon and a Hay. Those four letters it represents the male phallus, the spinal column, the waters, and um, oh, can't remember. <laughs> Suffice it to say, us deciding to do this, uh, this talk about halloween last minute was very much stepping out of our comfort zone stepping into areas where we do not feel comfortable with our knowledge because we have not spent the time studying the biblical stories and and all the rest of it so but the path is not about comfort and security so we're just we thought we were, we're taking out a risk and we're doing a fast that's going to end on november 1st and everything that was was happening and just it just We're just going to go with it. So coming back to the story then, um, Jonah comes back and he instructs the, he gets vomited out out by the whale and he goes and he talks to the, uh, the city. It tells him that God is going to destroy the city in 40 days and they take his warning seriously. And it's said that they cast off, they, they tore off their, their uh, expensive clothes and they put on sackcloths. And the uh, leaders of, of the city said that there would, there would be a fast and no one is to eat or drink anything for 40 days, 40 nights. And uh, they do all this and as a result, God spares Nineveh as a result of Jonah's uh, actions. But Jonah's not happy, and Jonah goes to sit and see what happens to the the city, and God places a, a gourd, a pumpkin, above his head in order to shade him from the sun and the heat. And the reason why Jonah is not happy is because, esoterically, the reason he's not happy is because all resurrected masters achieve a certain degree of divine intelligence based on their level and if they have not achieved the level that they were hoping for then they have to go and do the process all over again and once again they have to be covered by that by that gourd and in the uh the scriptures the worms come and eat the gourd and there's all sorts of imagery and stuff around there i you know it's not a it's not a lengthy it's not a lengthy book in the Bible. It literally, may take you five or ten minutes to read. It's that short, the book of Jonah. But what we do encourage you to do is um, read the resources and listen to the resources available on glorian.org. There is, particularly, this. It's, it's, it says it's. It says that it is a transcript from a lecture. We haven't been able to find the audio on this lecture, but we, um, the link. To this article it's in the chat it's here on the screen it's called the mysteries of halloween and it's a very 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 lengthy you know it's a very very uh, lengthy article um but it covers so much i mean there's a reason why I, i can't do this topic justice right it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on all related to um It's all about the mysteries of Halloween and everything that's actually in uh, the book of Jonah. But there's another article. This one is a lecture. You can listen to it called um, Halloween, Jonah, and the Gourd. This gets much deeper into the Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic elements of the story. And uh, again the, uh, the links are in the chat. And uh, it's there on screen. And there's the, uh, the wonderful, a wonderful image of Jonah being vomited out by the whale. Okay, so with that out of the way, we can focus instead on the equinox in September, that, of course, is the day when the length of day and length of night are equal. And from that point forward, there's more darkness than there is light, at least in the northern hemisphere. So winter is coming to use a Game of Thrones reference. And Forty days later, we have Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. The evening of the Saints, the Anointed, the Risen Ones. And the following day is the Day of the Dead. this all happens in the fall in harvest time the harvest ritual is universal and the harvest celebrations are universal there's something to be understood about the the harvest or the reaping the reaper comes with his scythe his sickle, to reap the wheat. That's where the word reaper comes from. That's why he's called the grim reaper, because he has that side to cut us down. And that's what we do in the harvest. But what doesn't get cut, what stays on the soil, gets tilled back into the soil. For this long night, this this winter of our discontent when is a time of regeneration for the earth for the soil everything goes to sleep in the fall in the autumn preparing for winter the trees shed their leaves and etc and you know and the animals they're storing all their nuts and seeds and everything for the winter and they're shoring up their burrows and their nests and everything else, you know the drill. You know what autumn is, and you know what winter is, and you know what winter is coming really means. It's a time of little death for nature. It's a small death. So the relationship between Halloween and death has always been there. And what brings about our are death, death is inevitable. But this association between monsters and demons and Halloween and the fact that that there is a death that's associated with Halloween that's dependent on those monsters and creatures or whether we have them or don't have them we have that expression in Jonah with the city of Nineveh but we also have it in Babylon and we have it in the book of Exodus in Exodus Halloween the day before the great reckoning is that evening when the Jews the Israelites are instructed by God to spread blood over the archways of their door so that the death so that death might pass them by but the firstborn of Egypt die as a result of this because Egypt Pharaoh refused to listen to Moses and refused to heed the word of God and refused to change their ways so we have a contrast between Egypt and Nineveh. And in both cases, there's, there's this reckoning that's coming. And that reckoning and that descent into hell and the pumpkin gourd, and it's all related, it's all connected through autumn, through the fall, and through the 40 days from the equinox to the 31st. The twisting and uh, corruption of this Halloween, All Hallows Eve, to become what it is today, where people dress up as monsters and they go, you know, uh, door to door collecting candy, but they dress up as monsters, or as demons, or as superheroes, or as whatever. This is a, obviously, a modern tradition, which is actually not so modern, because People have been dressing up and playing masquerade and stuff for a long, long, long time. But it's a degeneration of what Halloween really is. It is, in a very real sense, our opportunity each and every year to practice our own crucifixion and descent into hell in the hopes that we can achieve that illumination inside of us. That we can be vomited out, spat out, by the way, from um, from the whale. It's actually uh, no coincidence that in the fairy tale Pinocchio, you have a wooden little boy. And before, uh, uh, sorry, the wooden marionette, the wooden puppet. And before the wooden puppet can become a real boy, He has to be swallowed by this whale it's the same symbol and when he when the whale spits him out that's part of his journey on to becoming a real boy a true human being but that whale as we mentioned is hell that's the bowels of hell the pits of hell and we have to descend into hell to liberate that which is enslaved there and what we liberate is our psyche and our our consciousness the only element Of the modern expression of Halloween, which relates to this in any capacity, is the taking on of demonic costume in order to be able to descend into hell. And to mingle with the other demons. To go essentially undetected. And and to be able to work... Yeah, incognito. This is something that we have personal experience with. This is the only aspect... Of contemporary Halloween, apart from the illuminated pumpkin, which we already discussed, but this whole dressing up in costume stuff, dressing up as monsters, and going door to door. And there's, it's trick or treat. There's this decision aspect to this dressing up as a demon and going door to door there's this duality to it there's two possible outcomes incidentally that trick-or-treat aspect relates to the terminology jack-o'-lantern um this is a comes from a uh, a Celtish Irish tradition where there was this fellow named Jack was a he was a prankster he was a trickster and um oh yeah so let me i'll finish the story and then i'll share the link to join in as azil um maybe i'll just do that now there's the uh the link to join the live stream which you're more than welcome to do because Yeah, please, please join and, uh, and you know, make contributions as you see fit. Or there's the, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. there's the same link. Um, so this guy, Jack, he was a trickster. He was a prankster. And he was so good at what he did that he was even able to trick the devil. And he trapped the devil inside a tree by planting a bunch of crosses around the tree. And the devil was trapped in the tree. And the Jack said to the devil, well, I'll let you go, but on one condition. And the devil says, okay, what's that? He says, "Uh, you can't take my soul. And the devil said, yeah, it seems like a fair trade. So Jack let the devil out of the tree. And when Jack finally died and he went to the pearly gates to enter heaven, he was denied entrance to heaven because he had so many defects and vices. He was such a, you know, he's a trickster. He was a prankster. So then he had to go down into hell. And the devil said, well, I'm not taking your soul, because we had a deal. So Jack was uh, he was cursed to walk the earth forever between heaven and hell, just in limbo, for lack of a better word. But the devil, in his uh, kindness and his fairness... i guess uh said well don't wander in the dark and he took one of the burning embers of hell and put it in a gourd and gave that to jack and he became jack of the lantern jack o lantern who wanders the world between heaven and hell A phantom, a spirit, a ghost, who's neither ascending nor descending, just wandering. But he has his jack-o'-lantern. He's jack-of-the-lantern. That's where, supposedly, the origins of jack-o'-lantern comes from. We don't want to end up as like jack, that's for sure. And the Bodhisattva descends into hell to save others. But we have to descend into hell to save ourselves. And we have to recognize when we look in the mirror that we are a monster. As we are. It's one of the interesting things about this day and age is that many, many people, many people identify with monsters, with villains. Many people find Darth Vader and identify with Darth Vader. And many other villains from movies and so on and so forth, we... Many movies glorify murderers and killers. Look at uh, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs honors and glorifies Hannibal Lecter. Make, he makes Hannibal Lecter into a hero. Hannibal Lecter is a serial killer and a cannibal. We have to ask ourselves, Why? Why are we dressing up as monsters? Unless there's something about, about being a monster that appeals to us. And what is it about being a monster that appeals to us? We, we we dress up little children as monsters. And we think it's cute. We think it's adorable. Okay. Why? Why do we think it's cute? And why do we think it's adorable? There have certainly been many cartoons and many stories and illustrations and many characters that are, you know, there's even breakfast cereal, right? Frankenberry and Booberry and Count Chocula and but unless of course it relates to the fact that halloween is all about entering the belly of the beast. To enter the belly of the beast, you have to be a demon. You have to be a monster. That's why Bodhisattva incarnate. They are flawed They are, they are just like you and I, they have demons to overcome. They are fallen. It's the only way it's, or a a Bodhisattva that has not achieved the degree of, of that they hope to achieve returns. And they have to start from ground zero from nothing as if they've had no development in the past. So they, they fall. the intentional fall. What does that afford them? It affords them the opportunity to become a demon again, to put on that costume, to be able to enter the belly of the whale, the bowels of hell. Now, clearly, whale and is associated with the waters. And those waters are the waters of sexuality, the waters of Yisod, the ninth sphere on the tree of life. The foundation. And it is the foundation not only of Malkuth, but it's also the foundation of our own Klippath. It's the foundation of our hell. And to liberate souls from hell including our own soul we have to work with the sexual waters we have to work with the marrow of the pumpkin in order to illuminate that marrow and jonah uh yes that's what the fourth letter means it's yod it's yod vav N- uh, nun and hey it's the phallus the spinal column and the waters and the chalice yona even sounds like yoni as in the lingam yoni that's sexuality that's white tantra that's sexual alchemy and the angel that governs the gourd, the elementals of the gourd, also governs the elementals of the waters. Now, there's a very strong connection between the two. And you know that our brain, the marrow of our head, sits in c- cerebral spinal fluid, just as our spinal column does. That cerebrospinal fluid, are waters, and the marrow of our head is suspended in those waters, but we have to illuminate. And in many ways, we have to, just like a pumpkin, carve out and hollow out that marrow to make space for the light, for the candle, for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what transforms our sexual waters into illumination to illuminate the pineal gland. That's why we raise the waters, we raise the kundalini to the pineal gland. It starts the kundalini starts in the muladhara chakra and it ends in Saras- the uh Sarasasra chakra. chakra. Can never pronounce that right. The crown chakra. But it illuminates the pineal gland and all the seven churches of Asia, that's all seven chakras, are opened and illuminated as the waters rise. But we have to work with it intelligently. And that's why these, the, the birds, like the dove, is associated in the uh, story of Noah. It's with the dove that Noah determines uh, about the land. So, all of us are dressed up. We are all in costume. We are all pretending to be whatever we're pretending to be, whoever we think we are. And we are incognito, and many of us are incognito even to ourselves. We look in the mirror. And we think that's who we are, the person staring back at us, but that's a costume. We are identified with that costume. And that costume is a monster. And it's not easy to hear. Nobody wants to hear that they're a demon. But if you're filled with fear, and lust, and greed, and gluttony, and anger, and laziness, what else can you call yourself? It's very easy to say, oh, but but those demons are out there somewhere. But if that's true, why do you not know who you are? Why are you not in the fourth dimension? Why are you not in the supernal worlds? Why are you here? You're here in hell. And to be in hell requires a costume. Or rather, having a costume of a monster, there's really only one place you belong. It's where you mingle with the other demons. it's your opportunity to shed your costume. But that's that trick-or-treat. So the town of the city of uh, Nineveh, they shed their clothes and they put on sackcloths and they go on a fast. But Egypt doesn't. And they suffer the second death because of it. This is an important aspect to the book of Jonah. You see, there's two ways this can go, right? Trick or treat. Death is inevitable. The death of the ego is inevitable. Once you're swallowed up by hell, and you are in hell, we are all in hell. Okay, so we're all in the belly of the beast. Once you're swallowed up by the whale, there's only two directions you can go. Most things that get swallowed up by another thing go in one direction, right? And when you finally leave the whale, you are basically in an elemental mineral form. You return to the soil, you return to the earth to start all over again. Right? You become fertilizer for other things. That's normally what happens. That is the second death. And yet you won't have any ego then. But guess what? You won't have any gnosis. You won't have any experiential knowledge. You will have nothing of what you have been spending, of what you have gained over countless lifetimes. You will have lost it all. It will all have been digested and and erased. And you will return to the mineral kingdom. And that process will take a thousand years to be digested in that way. It's like formatting a hard drive to get rid of all the viruses. It's an extreme measure, and it will cure you of your egos. But just like being digested in the belly of a whale, it's an extreme process. It doesn't destroy you, your monad. Your monad is still intact. The vessel is still there but the contents of the vessel will be gone all the memories all the knowledge so that's that's not much of a ch- treat so that's a that's a that's a trick but you have another option that's the option that jonah takes that's the option that pinocchio takes and that's to be spat out by the whale and to do that you need light you need fire you light fire inside of the whale you spend three days in the whale working with the fire of Jonah of the the dove of the Holy Spirit because the fire and the dove represent the same Holy Spirit and those 3 days are not temporal in any sense the 3 days uh are related to the 3 mountains the mountains of initiation the mountains of resurrection the mountains of ascension of birth death and sacrifice the 3 factors of evolution and revolution of the consciousness so the first mountain of initiation that's birth being birthed into for example the teachings birthed into the path setting out on the path and the second mountain is death The relationship between the days and mountains, we can easily understand on the basis of when we call a day, we, a day is 24 hours. So a day has a morning, uh, a day cycle, and a night cycle. That's why in the Bible, Jesus prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. It's really 40 24 hour periods, right? that means there's a there's a there's a day that's the ascent and then there's a night there's a descent that's one mountain that's one day so three mountains three days three day night cycles so you have for example in the story of Jesus's crucifixion he has to climb cavalry, calvary Calvary, he climbs Calvary and he's crucified on Calvary. He has to go up a mountain to die. And then he descends, right? But that descent is related to his resurrection. So all of these days, all of these mountains are related to the descent and resurrection from hell to be vomited out, to be spat out by the whale, instead of processed in the normal way, like the rest of the whales food. To be spat out by the whale is obviously a treat. But it comes at a tremendous cost of effort. It comes at a tremendous sacrifice. And what we sacrifice are our garments. Our costume what we were wearing that took us into hell in the first place so what we give up is our identification with vampires and werewolves and monsters and demons and and also our uh, megalomaniacal attachments to superheroes or whatever because This is something that we we mentioned in our Skywalker video, um, our Star Wars, the Skywalker Apocalypse video, how cosplay is so popular. People dressing up as their favorite superheroes or their favorite characters from modern mythology, and they go to these conventions, and they all take pride in how amazing their costumes are. But all of that is a distraction from actually comprehending what makes a hero and actually becoming a hero. A hero doesn't need a costume. That's The, the duality and the alternate identity of heroes and villains always relates to practicality. For practical reasons, the hero has to remain anonymous. So that's why most heroes have alter egos. But the true hero is always the one inside, is always the hidden one. The outward face of the hero or whatever costume he has to wear in order to get by for practical reasons is always a false self. Always. Just like any costume. Unfortunately, this dressing up as monsters and demons on All Hallows' Eve, the night before the Day of the Dead, when all the saints rise. What we don't have, what's been stripped from Halloween, is any ritual or any rite by which at the end of the night shedding the costume is part of the ritual. But to go down into hell and go knocking on doors and getting treats it's like we're opening up Regions of our psyche we're going down into our subconscious as a demon And we're knocking on those doors As a demon we have that knowledge that comprehension We're playing that role that can be interpreted As meditating on a particular ego We dress up and we go and we observe and we go and we knock on all the doors in our subconscious mind. Looking to recover our treats, our consciousness. Because if we can recover enough consciousness, then we can illuminate our pumpkin. We can work with the fire and we can, but we have to die as a demon. So that aspect of Halloween has been lost. Even though there's lots of talk of death and zombies and skeletons and all this kind of stuff, but it's, it's, it's been lost, it's been obscured. Because of ego, because of fear. Because fear fears death above all else. Physical death and psychological death. That's what fear exists for. As an ego, it works for mechanical nature. It's there for it's the self-preservation instinct. So fear preserves itself, period. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, fear is the pimp of Bab- Babylon. Fear is the father of all ego. If lust is the mother of all egos, fear is their father. And so, Halloween, unfortunately then, has become this uh, modern-day pageant, modern-day Dionysian festival, because, of course... And it's a modern-day Dionysian festival, not just for kids, but for adults. The adults, yeah, they have candy and everything else in their parties, as well, but mostly it's alcohol, just like the original Dionysian festival. People would dress up, and they did it again in the um, um, Rococo period, and then the masquerade balls of the Victorian era. But for children of course we don't give alcohol to children so what do we do the next best thing sugar and so halloween is this dionysian festival this this primal um hedonistic festival where we're celebrating monsters and demons and we dress the children up as monsters and demons and we let them go and and uh, practice gluttony and greed for for sugar. And the adults get dressed up and they go to their parties and they get drunk and they you know, have whatever additional hedonistic uh, desires. And because many, many Halloween costumes, especially those worn by women, can only be described as, well, they would describe them as sexy, but they can only really be described as slutty, revealing, and it's just an opportunity for women to um, to uh, fulfill their their fantasies of being uh, dark mistresses and seduct- seductive uh, monsters, and so on and so forth. Uh, and they have that that desire to to play out that fantasy and so halloween affords them that modern halloween that is so it really is uh, uh, it says as aziel said here in his comment the inverted version of halloween relates to the picture of your left and our right however not so much in its divine aspect so well what do we do then well if people kids come to your door do you hand out candy or whatever that's up to you because like it or not we have to be practical and in this day and age people celebrate halloween as a wonderful activity for the kids but what about ourselves what, what do we do? What can we do? Is there a rite, is there a ritual related to the esoteric spiritual Halloween that we can practice? Well, there's a number of things, but there's actually a rite and a ritual related to the pumpkin itself. And This comes from uh, Samael's book, Igneous Rose. And I'm just going to read this. Because it's very short. It's just one chapter. Let us now enter the temple, O Arhat, in order to officiate with the pumpkin gourd. Now, Arhat relates to the fourth the fourth degree of divine intellect, of divine mind. So when that, uh, because of what we were discussing earlier about the pumpkin relating to the head and relating to the mind and the illuminated mind, that's why this chapter, Master Samuel addresses to Arhat, that degree the fourth degree of divine mind um before we continue here benjamin says the costume thing is related to a deception of entertainment their savior is a superhero again there's nothing wrong with superheroes superheroes are our modern mythology we don't agree with some opinions of gnostics that that also you know we know and we've shared with you that's one of the reasons why we're here is to unveil the fact that just because a humanity is degenerated um doesn't mean that the logos doesn't work actively through the creation of that humanity as best as it can and comic books are a unique art form because they're the only visual art form which depicts the psychology of the characters. So much like opera, in other words, believe it or not, the irony is, the irony is, That comic books are seen by many as something for children. Although now those children have grown up and they're adult collectors. And they hoard and collect comic books, unfortunately. But there's something about comic books. And comic books are the domain of the superhero. That's where superheroes have lived for decades, in comic books. And what... You see... The reason why we have difficulty with you know Halloween and going through all of its traditional esoteric foundations from the past is that that's not what we are here to do. We've said many, many, many times, we're not here to do the work of Glorien. Glorian is here to do the work of Glorien. That's what they're doing. That's what the instructors there are doing. That's what Master Samael did. Master Samael is the Buddha Maitreya synthesized you know thousands of years of spiritual tradition from from around the world we can't possibly do that work again nor should we want to that's why we shared with you the links if you want to go and read all the biblical and cabalistic etc 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 but what did samuel not do and what do the people at gloria not do samuel couldn't unveil things that hadn't been created yet like star wars like game of thrones someone has to reveal unveil modern mythology the mythology that was created now and as much as it can be judged by whoever wants to judge it as a degeneration the fact of the matter is, God works with the clay that's on the wheel. And there is a reason why people who collect comic books, for them, their superheroes are sacred. And the, the, the artifacts themselves, the artifacts themselves are sacred. Have you seen how people preserve their comic book collection? And comic books are valued on how pristine they are. The only other thing that people do like this is like are uh, it's, it's art. Some people collect money like bills. Some people collect coins. Some people collect stamps, but coins, bills, and stamps all have real monetary value. They're all actual mediums of currency. That's why they're called currency. They're actual representations of energy. They have real energy in them. And the older they are, the more value they have, and the rarer they are, the more value they have because of supply and demand and all that kind of stuff, but also because of how the energy has been preserved and maintained. The perfection, the pristine nature of those artifacts. And then along come comic books. And people who collect comic books have literally thousands of issues in like Ziploc baggies and stuff preserved in their collections. They are, those superheroes and those stories are the modern day mythological characters of our time. And in our time, just like in ancient times, those characters are idolized and to a degree worshipped. But modern fandom worships those characters in ways just as the ancient idolaters did. It's idolatry. And just as the ancient idolaters did. You look at you, all you have to do is watch some YouTube videos uh, from these content creators who are talking about entertainment. And you see in the background, they have little figurines they have all their toys and 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 stuff and they have like very expensive very detailed uh statues and toys of these characters how is that any different from the little statuettes and stuff that people would have in their house the romans and the greeks they would put on their altar and they would worship those gods but all those gods were archetypes. They all represented something. Just like superheroes are archetypes. They all represent something. But people became enamored. They became identified and attached to the, the personalities of those gods. And that's what idolatry is. To worship idols. and That's what modern fandom is. And that's what uh, cosplay is. people dressing up as these mythical mythical characters that's exactly what the people did in the rococo period and in the dionysian festival the birth of theater in fact so this costume wearing thing is not just entertainment it's a form of idolatry because make no mistake no make no mistake a lot of what we call entertainment is just schlock garbage. It's empty, meaningless, just pure. That's that's the breads and circuses, right, of the Roman amphitheater and the Roman Colosseum. That's a gladiatorial arena, is our MMA fighting, right, and so on. But our bread and circuses are all that schlock, garbage, empty, meaningless, pointless entertainment. And that has existed throughout all time. Throughout all time. Do you know how many musicians' music has not stood the test of time? How many artists' work has not stood the test of time? How many theatrical productions were put on in Shakespeare's day that have all gone the way of the dodo? But Shakespeare and Marlowe survive. Just as Beethoven and Mozart and Wagner and Bach and all of the great classical musicians, their work survives. But everybody everybody else's that was just schlock derivative Meaningless, pointless, it wasn't divinely inspired. But comic books, a lot of it is schlock garbage derivative, but a lot of it isn't. It's archetypal. It's in it was inspired. Unfortunately, it's interpreted as entertainment and the love, the passion. The deep-down intuitive knowing that it is mythology and that it is meaningful, that it was inspired, that it is a way for me to touch the divine, gets redirected by ego to the surface level. And that's what idolatry is. People worship the characters. People worship the artists, the creators, instead of worshiping God, instead of worshiping themselves, their true selves. Which is our own inner superhero. Who, by the way, wants to do great things in the world. But a superhero can't do great things in the world, as Clark Kent. Superman needs to be able to be Superman. That means Clark Kent has to get out of the way of Superman. The rest of the time, Clark Kent can go to work and do his job and do his thing. But secretly, he's Superman. In the same way that Bruce Wayne is secretly Batman. But Bruce Wayne goes into the background when Batman comes out. Every, this is everybody's birthright. Everybody has this potential. Everyone has this potential. But instead, they just want to put on a costume and play and pretend to be instead of actually being a human being. So how can we help them? It turns out there's many ways we can help them but one of the ways we can help them is on halloween and the ritual of the pumpkin gourd so let's continue with that so let us now enter the temple o arhat in order to officiate with the pumpkin gourd revest yourself with your white mantle and tunic And approach the altar, O Arhat. We can work with the multitudes with the powers of the elemental of the pumpkin gourd. The elemental of the pumpkin gourd has terrific power over the multitudes. The elemental of the pumpkin gourd has terrific powers over the multitudes. These multitudes that are just content to dress up as heroes instead of bringing forth their inner hero into the world and bringing forth the gifts of their inner hero into the world. Jonah made Nineveh repent of its sins with the elemental magic of the pumpkin gourd. The elemental of the pumpkin gourd has a small crown upon its pineal gland that gives it terrific power over the human masses. Learn, O Arhat, to fight against the abominations of humanity by means of the pumpkin gourd. Thus, you will help the human multitudes, and when helping humanity, you will help yourself. You know this. Remember that the elemental of the pumpkin gourd has a pink tunic, which is the color of unselfish love. This elemental resembles a beautiful girl dressed with this tunic of love. Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish. On the third day, the fish vomited him onto the square of Nineveh. Jonah then seated himself beneath a pumpkin gourd, and all the people of Nineveh repented. They tore their vestures, covered their bodies with sackcloth, and proclaimed a fast. I want you to now understand, O Harhat, the existing intimate relationship between the fish of the sea and the pumpkin gourd. There is a powerful angel who governs the fish of the sea and the elementals of the gourd plants. The current of life that passes through the fish of the sea is the same current that passes through the vegetable family of the pumpkin gourd. The igneous angel who governs the gourd plants is the same ardent flame who governs all the fish of the immense sea. The officiant must place the pumpkin in a pot of water, that must boil upon the flames of a small stove." So now we're getting into the actual nuts and bolts of the ritual. The pumpkin fruit must be cut into pieces before placing it into the pot of water. This pot of water must boil before the altar. The officiant must bless the steaming pot and command the elemental of the pumpkin gourd to work over the multitudes in order to make them repent of their sins. The great white hierarchy will assist you during the rite. The college of initiates will collaborate with you in this great work of the Father. The igneous powers of this elemental creature blaze intensely within the ardent sparkling of the universal flames. During this ceremony of elemental magic, the white dove of the Holy Spirit will enter into you, O Arhat. Now, while submerged in profound meditation, you can hear the word of Jehovah. Do not forget, sibling of mine, do not forget, O Arhat, that the spinal vertebrae of the mental body have a corresponding sacred cavern hidden within the womb of the earth. As long as your igneous serpent is rising through the incandescent medulla, of your mental body, you are penetrating into each one of the caverns that correspond to each vertebrae. These caverns, illuminated by the fire of your candlestick, burn with splendor. The caverns in which your blazing torch does not yet burn are filled with darkness and smoke. Only you, O Arhat, can dispel this darkness with the sacred fire of your candlestick. The burning of fire of cosmic nature sparkles in each one of the 33 caverns of the Arhat. The sacred mysteries of the fire are cultivated in each one of the 33 caverns of the Arhat. The light of the fire convert the material mind into Christ mind, while the Arhat illuminates his caverns with the torch of his candlestick. After Jonah was vomited from the fish, he preached in Nineveh, and he sat beneath the pumpkin gourd. He did this in order to work with the powers of the mind that blaze within the sparks of the cosmic mind's glowing embers. People do not understand the symbol of Jonah, despite the fact that Christ resurrected after three days. People ask for signs from the Christ, but he gave only the sign of Jonah. Remove your vile vestments, because they are filled with worms from all rotting matter. The worm of the rotting matter dries and kills the pumpkin gourd. Only the arhat can officiate during the rite of the pumpkin gourd. The entire sacred college will go to the temple of the Holy Rite dressed with white tunics. Only the few helpers will use light blue tunics and cloaks during the rite. Where'd I go? During certain moments, the lights are extinguished and the temple remains in darkness. Now you will understand that the pumpkin plant belongs to the mental plane. Now you will understand all the symbolism of Jonah, the prophet seated beneath the pumpkin gourd. The moments during the rite in which the lights are extinguished symbolize the passing from the darkness into the light. We must throw out of ourselves all animal natured vile deeds. The mantra of the elemental of the pumpkin gourd is Ka. An Asian gong must be resounded during this rite. If you don't have a gong, you can use a gong sound, or you can use a uh, a Tibetan bowl. You can strike a, a Tibetan singing bowl or healing bowl if you don't have a gong. As it will have the same effect. This... Uh, Did we share this link? Anyway, we'll share it now if we if we haven't already. There is this ritual as described by Master Samuel. It describes those chambers in the world that are not yet lit. They're dark and full of smoke. Those chambers exist inside of us because we are microcosms of the world. So our connection to the whole world is through those chambers in macrocosm. But if our chambers are dark and they're cloudy with smoke, with mist, just like a, a Halloween night, we have to illuminate that right with our candlestick. We have to go knocking on each one of those chambers and we have to bring our light to those chambers. And as we do that with this rite and ritual of the pumpkin gourd, we have power to help illuminate the multitudes and cause them to go and go knocking on the doors of the chambers in their own mind. This is a very deep but powerful connection. And again, all of this relates directly to the modern day practice of going and knocking on doors and people putting pumpkins and candles inside of pumpkins and putting them in windows or outside to show that this house is illuminated. You can come here and get candy. You can come and knock on this door. This chamber is illuminated, but you see how it's all been inverted and commercialized. And made to mean nothing, and made to given, made to be an excuse for to to dress children up as demons and for adults to dress up as monsters or to to dress up as superheroes instead of becoming superheroes. It's it's like all sacred rites and rituals. It's degenerated, it's twisted, and it's corrupted, it's commercialized. It's just superficial and it's empty of its real esoteric meaning of its real divine, sacred potential to illuminate our pumpkin to remind us to work with our waters and the fires of the Holy Spirit and hollow out the marrow, get all the smoke and everything else that causes the pumpkin to be dark and light it with that candle of the Holy Spirit, of the light, of illumination, of enlightenment. In the graphic behind, behind us, you, this is the graphic for the uh, for the live stream. Both of these images were are carved in pumpkins, and there's something. Uh, powerful about that fact there's something proper and correct about these sacred images being carved in a pumpkin and illuminated from within there's just something correct about it it feels right and it feels much better more powerful than any any you know jack-o'-lantern that's lost, wandering in limbo between lost between heaven and hell. We could, um, we can't because we don't have the uh, the you know the knowledge by heart. But we can tell you that um, Halloween has its related. Uh, origins or festivals or, you know, related to the harvest and related to the equinox and related to everything that we've mentioned in uh, Nordic, Celtic, uh, Greek, Roman, and Hindu. It just goes on and on. South America, it's just... And if you want to know more details about all of that. Uh, we recommend the mysteries of Halloween article that we mentioned at the beginning. The link is in the uh, in the chat. Uh, this is a long article, but this th- this covers so many different aspects of um, of Halloween and It's very, very, very thorough and and, um, uh, comprehensive. So this is for further reading, for further investigation on your part into the esoteric origins and esoteric significance of Halloween. The notion of Getting dressed up to scare evil spirits away and stuff. That's just. um, Do they? Do they actually? Maybe they do. Fear fears. So fear is afraid. So. It will cower it will run and hide but as for other other uh, egos I'm it's uh it's tough to say this whole idea that <clears throat> you know people dress up at Halloween to scare the the uh the monsters away I think that's just a clever trick of ego and of course as we mentioned November 1st is all Saints Day, or the Day of the Dead. And that relates, again, to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ when it's written in the Bible, and I believe it's Matthew, where the saints were rising from their graves and walking among the Holy City. But it's a, it's a celebration of all those who have conquered death. And... It makes absolutely no sense to celebrate uh, demons and monsters on the day before All Saints Day when to become a saint to conquer death one must descend into hell and defeat the demons that's what the crucifixion is about Jesus facing his demons and dying and sacrificing himself on the cross of sexuality in order to liberate himself from his tormentors. So let's take an opportunity to meditate. Um, for our part, we're fasting. Uh, we've been fasting since well, yesterday. So we're, fa- we're fasting Uh, Three days prior to the first. This is an opportunity for us to look at ourselves, use meditation, go into meditation and dive, go into the belly of the whale, go into the bowels of hell of your own subconscious mind. you're perfectly fine doing that. We're here in hell already. You're here in hell because you're wearing a costume. And if you want to perform the ritual of the pumpkin gourd, it's more power to you. If you want to do that on Halloween, meditate and pray and pray for the multitudes and help the multitudes perform the the ritual of the pumpkin gourd. It's spelled out. It's fairly easy. It's not very complicated. and if you don't have a gong if you don't have something that can it's don't worry you can find uh you can find uh something that can produce the appropriate sound either your phone or on the computer or what have you so so and you pronounce the mantra ka and you pray and you meditate and it's all good and afterwards you can eat the pumpkin there's you know it's it's um Azazel says that scaring away ritual relates to the sexual, which can either attract or repel demons, or even angels for that matter. So it is also degenerated. Okay. Uh, and he just corrected his spelling. A sexual fire. So, okay. So the scaring away of ritual relates to the sexual fire, which can either attract or repel demons, or even angels for that matter. So it is also degenerated. Um, we don't have much else to say, honestly, because like we said, we can't do justice to this topic really, not from a archaic, traditional, biblical, kabbalistic, right? We're we on those levels, I, I'm also just a student. And I'll never be able to do justice to that level of the teaching. But Master Samael and the instructors of N have done justice to those levels of the teaching and they're available in the articles that we shared with you. And you can go through them at your leisure. The important takeaways from all of this for us relates to the illumination of our pumpkin. And the going into the uh, the belly of the beast, the belly of the whale, and working with the fire of the Holy Spirit with our sexual waters to the point where, and we take our costume off because hell will reject us. If we don't belong there. But if we keep wearing our costume and we keep identifying and, and, and remain attached to this to this costume we're wearing, this ego, this alter ego, and all the demons that are infecting it, then we're we're tricking ourselves. We're tricking ourselves. and we will end up in the second death. We will leave the whale, but as we described, we will leave the whale through the bowels, through a process of digestion, which takes a long, long time. But if while we are in the whale's belly, we can light a fire, we can take off this costume, as the people of Nineveh did. They tore off their clothes and they put on sackcloths, meaning they accepted the word of God and they they let go of their attachments to worldly things. They let go of their attachments to their, their egos and their fame and their fortune and everything else and all of their, their reputation and all that stuff, their pride. And instead they put on the sackcloth of a pilgrim, of an initiate, of a buddha. If we do that work in the ninth sphere, in the waters of Yisad, in the belly of the whale, in the belly and knocking on the caverns of our subconscious mind, then we too have the opportunity to take off our Halloween costumes And hell will belch out what does not belong in hell. So that's in the short condensed version. And that's really all we have to share with you today, unless there's somebody else, unless you guys want to pop on and ask or ask questions or make comments or We could mention we could mention things like how the cauldron, the witch's cauldron, is a degeneration of the chalice, the cup, right? The cup which holds the sexual uh, potency, the sexual waters. Um, that's degenerated into the cauldron, the witch's cauldron, and they, you know, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble, cauldron burn and Fire burn and cauldron bubble. And so they they use the waters, but they poison the waters. And they heat the waters, but they use it to cast magic spells, black magic spells, they cast spells on people. That's all black magic. Because black magic uses the sexual waters. Right? But but it's essentially spilling those waters because whatever it whatever comes out of that cauldron gets, gets used, gets, gets, you know, whereas the chalice and what state, what goes into the cup stays in the cup. You don't spill the cup of Hermes. We did a post recently, we did uh, a meme about, um, lycanthropy, lycanthropy, I don't know, being turning into a werewolf and the full moon. Um, that has a mild relation to Halloween, but as Azazel says, with the perfume of the wood could be added to my comment. Okay. We all know what wood, that wood is a slang term for, or sorry, we all know what wood is a slang term for today. So the way we use it is basically related to what you're speaking of now. Um... yeah so that's look the simple way to think about that is uh, a wood can be cracked and splintered and splinters are nobody likes getting splinters the other way to understand that symbol of the uh, the phallus the wood is comprehend that it's the sword. And a sword has two edges, a double-edged sword. That's what that symbol, we all know that sexual potency, that energy, can flow up or it can flow down. It can up and in, up and atom, or down and out. The down and out creates the tail of Satan. Which, but which, that has a relevance to Halloween, because of course many people dress up as devils, and um, and demons, and the 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 two the three dominant aspects of the symbol of a demon are its horns, its trident, its pitchfork, and uh, its tail the tail of satan now usually the uh, the demon's pitchfork or trident is pointed down and uh, although they 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 draw them with the horns coming out of the side of the head in fact the demon's horns come out of the forehead and uh, the tail of satan is that's the kunda buffer organ that represents the fallen kundalini or the sexual energy flowing down and out And that's where we get the expression down and out but apart from that we've talked about you know trick-or-treating knocking on doors the playing dress up all that stuff the rest as we said the articles we shared with you we can't get into all the cabalistic details and everything else because we can't do it justice number one And uh, and number two, it would take way too long. So you'll have to go through that material at your own convenience, at your own time. But do go through it, because honestly, Halloween, esoterically speaking, is at least as important as any other... It's at least as important as Easter. And Christmas. Esoterically speaking, it is that holy that in, in terms of its in terms of its esoteric significance in relationship to the fall equinox and the forty days and forty nights following that equinox, it is a, a an opportunity. To contemplate, to meditate, and to celebrate the coming of winter. The winter of our discontent. And that winter is an opportunity to work on ourselves. To go into the belly of the whale. so, So read Jonah. Read the book of Jonah. Meditate on it. It's a very short book. It'll take you five minutes to read it once. But don't just read it once. And don't read it. Don't speed read it. You'll get nothing out of it that way. But if you want to get a lot out of it read the articles that we shared with you listen to the lecture on jonah that we shared the links with you and then go read the story a lot of the story is going to be covered in the lecture anyway Uh, any more comments or any more questions? It's going to be a short one today, we uh, predict. <laughs> it's We don't have to, We don't, these things don't all have to go three or four hours. Is it worthwhile mentioning Halloween movies? Uh, Friday the 13th. Halloween itself, with there's a character, Michael Myers, who's this faceless, it's interesting that both Michael Myers and Jason, from what arguably the two most popular horror film franchises, are faceless, Jason wears the hockey mask and Mike Myers has this faceless blank whatever, it's supposed to make them more menacing, more terrifying. And the reason why that is, is because our subconscious mind can project onto them whatever it wants. The trouble with Dracula or the werewolf or any other monster is that they have too much personality. They have too much, they're too distinct. But a faceless monster, faceless demon, we can project our worst nightmares onto them and that way they're, they're more scary to us um i personally have never understood the horror genre um i've never understood why people enjoy is it Azazel, are you uh, commenting about Halloween in general? Or are you commenting about the, the the horror film genre? Well, more simply, it can also be an inspiring time to face our fears. You must be talking about Halloween. Now, there's an interesting thing about facing our fears. Now, okay, this is, this is interesting because it, it ties into what we were mentioning about the horror film genre. People go to horror movies to be scared. They they now why is it that people would go they want to be scared? They want they want the jump scares. They want the Yeah, okay, so okay, so you were talking about Halloween, but let I'm gonna bring this back to your comment. I'm gonna leave this comment on the screen because it's an inspiring time to face our fears. When people go watch a horror film genre, now I'm asking this question, so I'm asking for feedback. I I really want you guys to to offer your feedback here. Are people not facing their fears when they go to watch? horror movies, they're going to watch a scary movie. It's terrifying, but that's why they're going. They want to be terrorized. They want to be terrified. So they, they know they're going to be terrified or they hope to be terrified, but the same, but are are they, are they facing their fears? many people who went to see jaws came out of jaws terrified of sharks (laughs) they they were terrified of going in the ocean i'll be honest with you as a child after i saw jaws i was afraid of even going into the lake (laughs) and there are no sharks in 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 uh in ontario lakes (laughs) But I'll be honest with you, I was afraid of going, because I didn't know what was lurking in the water, right? Jaws is one of those. Jaws was a movie that, that unfortunately, instilled a terrible fear in many, many people of sharks. When sharks actually, for the most part, don't behave that way. Sharks are not as deadly as, as uh, Discovery Shark Week makes them out to be you know, the the Discovery Channel, they have an entire week dedicated to the man-eating sharks. You are more likely to be struck by lightning than than to die in a shark attack. And when you consider how many people go into the ocean all around the world every day to swim and, you know, scuba diving and and snorkeling and, and fishing and what have you, The number of shark attacks is so, statistically, is so low that, uh, in fact, many times, for example, sharks often, well, not often, often when sharks attack surfers, it's when the surfer is paddling, paddling out to sea. And from the sharks, sharks have terrible eyesight. It's known that sharks have terrible eyesight. So when a shark is looking up. And they see a silhouette of a surfboard and four limbs doing this. Um, they probably think that they're looking at a seal or a sea lion or some kind of small whale or something. You know, that's what they think it is when they attack. Because generally speaking, sharks do not attack humans. They have no. That's not. That's not in their uh, in their natural food food chain, and. Let's face it, sharks need fat, like sharks need a lot of energy. And so they would go for a sea lion or a seal or uh, some other porpoise or a whale as much more blubber on it. It's much more worthwhile as the worthwhile the, uh, the sharks energy to uh, to expend. But in any case. So I asked that question about facing our, uh, uh related to horror movies and facing our fears. As Azil says, yeah, I have a fear of heights and went for two roller coasters. The jump scare thingies doesn't work on me, but it is amusing to witness others getting scared. Uh, I'm terrible for jump scares. Uh, People can, if people sneak up on me, I'm I'm terrible for that. But again, again, you know what I live with, right? So you know what kind of thing that I'm dealing with. So uh, I'm terrible for the jump scares. And I'm also afraid of heights. So, there's a lot of well, again, understanding you know the the nature of the fear that I deal with, there's lots of things in that sense that uh, you know, I also get stage fright, terrible stage fright, but that didn't stop me from being an actor and going into the theater. It doesn't stop me from doing this live stream or getting up on stage in front of people despite the stage fright. And this brings me to this question. Uh, Halloween being an inspiring time to face our fears. um, Was it Dr. Huberman? Dr. Jason Huberman, I think is his name. He recently did a video in which he was talking about um, the the gasping for air reflex. Uh, the suffocation and drowning reflex. When you hold your breath too long, you gasp for air uh, not because your body needs oxygen so much. You, you gasp for air because you're suffering the consequences of uh, of carbon dioxide poisoning. Because you've been holding your breath so long. As you hold your breath, you but you keep doing stuff, your body is generating carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide is toxic to the body. Now, he was talking about, he has friends who are freedivers, and he was talking about how freedivers learn to face that fear of dying from carbon dioxide poisoning, and they learn to push past it. They condition themselves. So the gasp reflex comes and goes without them actually breathing out and breathing in again. Because of course you can't do that as a free diver. And this is how free divers go an extended period of time because they, they become comfortable with the gasp reflex. Now, this relates to going to a movie to get scared or going on a roller coaster when you're afraid of heights. And these free divers who face their fear, you know how they die? They just stop. Everything just shuts down. What that means is, facing a fear doesn't produce consciousness. If a freediver overcame their fear, truly overcame their fear, then the consciousness would be released from that fear. And they would know when it's time for them to breathe out or come up for air they would just know it they would be consciously aware of that but they're not they have to rely on gadgets so they have to rely on time or they have to rely on other things and if they don't some of them their body just shuts down their brain just shuts down carbon dioxide poisoning they went too long they face their fear of drowning they overcame that fear. They fa- they faced their gasp reflex, which is a reflex in the body. They faced and they overcame that. But you see, facing fears doesn't guarantee anything. Why? Because facing your fear... Let's, let's look at this mountain... Uh, symbol. As you're going up the mountain, you're facing your fear and you're afraid and you're afraid and you're afraid and you're afraid and you're afraid. afraid. Then you get to the top and at the top, you, you slide down the other side. Now sliding down the other side is really easy. It's very comfortable. Going up the mountain is hard. Facing the fear is hard, but once you faced it, once you've gone gone over that point, then it becomes really comfortable. Once you get over the peak, over the hump, the rest is downhill, smooth sailing. Why? Because comfort and fear are two sides of the same coin. It's the same mountain. The best example that I can give of this is stage fright. And this is just personal experience. There is absolutely no place that I feel more at home and more comfortable than on a stage in front of a live audience. But getting there is a nightmare. The stage fright that I feel before I go on stage, before I step up for a, for a uh, in front of an audience to give a presentation, my heart's pounding out of my chest. I'm sweating. I'm shaking. i you know it's crazy stage fright. But once I step out on stage, poof, all that vanishes, and it's I'm in my element. I'm just totally comfort. Comfort, comfortable and secure. Have I overcome my fear? No, of course not. Of course not. I, I was, I was on stage back in university. I was still suffering from seizures in my thirties. I had I hadn't not overcome the demon. I had not overcome fear. So this whole notion of facing fears. Very tricky, because the other side of that mountain of fear is comfort, is security, which is fear. This is how tricky and how subtle egos are, in the same way that shame is the flip side of pride. Shame is the upward mountain, or yeah, and then pride is the is a downward slope. So people who face their shame, they overcome their shame. Well, now then they have a they they develop a um, self esteem in its place. The same thing that fuels Shame fuels self-esteem, fuels pride. There's no comprehension there. There's no release of consciousness. You're still stuck in ego. But this is how subtle and how clever egos are. This is why people go to watch scary movies. Because number one, they're comfortable. They know that nothing is going to actually harm them. They're comfortable in the theater. They got their popcorn, they got their hot dog, they got their nachos, they got their pop. They got their date. And now they want to indulge their fear, but they want to indulge their fear in comfort. As Azil says, yeah, it is a huge difference with facing our demons and overcoming them. But some people even reject facing them. Well, that's true. That's true. But remember that the point of our sharing this with you is that there's a right way to face your demons and there's a wrong way. There's a tricky way, right? We talk talk about Halloween, trick or treat. The way to face your demons is as they are But to, to brute force your way into facing your demons and so-called overcoming your de- overcoming your fears. So this is like overcoming phobias. So people will say if you have a, a, a fear of heights or a fear of anything, a fear of open spaces, a fear of other people, a fear of spiders, a fear of storms, whatever, the best way to overcome them is exposure. You expose yourself to those things. If you have fear of dogs, go to the dog park, right? And start interacting with dogs and you overcome your fear, right? No. You are becoming comfortable with the objects of your fear. You're, you're climbing the mountain of fear and then you're sliding down the other side of comfort. But it's the same mountain of ego. You haven't overcome anything. You've robbed Peter to pay Paul. You've exchanged fear for comfort and security. Of an object. Fear of dogs. I was afraid of dogs. Now I'm comfortable and secure with dogs. Same demon. You haven't haven't conquered anything. It's a it's a it's a tr- trick or treat. It's a trick of ego. When you say people face re- reject facing their egos, their demons. They reject facing their fears. what they really need to do is face their demon of fear. Not the objects of their fear, they have to face their fear itself. And that's what very, very, very few people are willing to do because they don't even know that's what they need to do. Because fear doesn't care what you're afraid of, by the way. Fear doesn't care. What you're afraid of, you can overcome your fear of heights now, but if you don't overcome that demon of fear, that demon of fear is going to express itself a different way, or it's going to, now you're going to become comfortable with heights and they're going to be so, so comfortable with heights. You might start doing foolish things like, you know, I don't know, mountain climbing or without a tether. Or doing, um, or, you know, walking around on the edges of tall buildings without some kind of a safety support. And because you haven't freed up any consciousness, you might end up falling off that building and dying. Just like the, um, just like the, uh, the free diver who overcomes his gasp reflex, but ends up dying because he doesn't have any, he doesn't have the consciousness to know and be aware that he actually needs oxygen. And he he actually has to expel the carbon dioxide. Another example that, uh, oh, it's Andrew. It's Dr. Andrew Huberman. Another example he gave in this video are uh, skydivers and skydiving instructors. And you know that when skydiving instructors take people for a jump, the instructor is often getting a video of them. Because that's part of the package, right? That you get to you get to see see a video of you falling through the sky. You know that many skydiving instructors have died because they've forgotten to pull their own ripcord. They have thousands of hours skydiving. They've gone on, you know, literally thousands of jumps. They become so comfortable with it and so mechanical with it it's like it's like you or i making a sandwich it's like we can do it mechanically you know completely we can we can be asleep we can do we can make a sandwich in our sleep these guys go skydiving in their sleep they're asleep when they go skydiving so to really face our egos to really face our demons to illuminate our pumpkin We must take, we must hollow out. It's not enough just to become comfortable with the pumpkin as it is, which a lot of people believe that that's what it is. Yeah, so this is is what, this is, okay, so Jennifer has this comment. You can't overcome a fear until you have comprehended it. Exposure to the fear doesn't guarantee comprehension. Okay, no. So what we're talking about is you can't overcome fear without comprehending it. Comprehend the difference between a fear and fear. Okay? A a fear, like a fear of heights, a fear of dogs, a fear of uh, spiders. That's a phobia, but but they're easy examples. You can overcome that phobia and not comprehend the fear behind it. Because what you are doing is you are overcoming what you are afraid of. You're not overcoming what is causing you to be afraid of that. That's why fear loves to express as phobias, a fear of something, because it keeps your focus on that something. And again, I'm a perfect example of this, because I overcame every time, right? I had to get up on stage, I had to overcome my stage fright. And then the second I stepped out on stage, boom, I thought I'd overcome my stage fright. And people like Robin Williams and many, 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 many actors, long list of actors, report having terrible stage fright. They vomit before going out on stage. But that in and of itself does nothing because that's the object of our fear. The fear itself is what's behind the curtain in our own subconscious mind. So that's what we need to overcome. And, and it's very hard to meditate on what you are afraid of. Like meditating on spiders is not going to not going to help you comprehend your fear, right? Because spiders have not absolutely nothing to do with your fear. It just happens to be something that fear chose. Or you were bitten by a spider as a kid or something and fear di- decided to exploit that so-called trauma but it's fear itself that we have to comprehend and that's 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 no easy that's no easy feat but you can quote overcome a fear through exposure but you're absolutely right Jennifer you cannot comprehend the fear itself. this is very this is very subtle, and I know the language can be a little bit tricky, but this is how subtle fear is. this is this is why fear is so dominant uh, around the world. Just look at what happened with the pandemic. right? Look to this day, I see people driving around in their car wearing masks. Nobody else in the car. They're alone in their car on the highway wearing a mask. Benjamin Ochoa says, sort of like a passive and active way, either keeping the pumpkin lit or flickering by our attention on it. Keeping the pumpkin lit or flickering by our attention on it. We have to be active when we do this. Self-observation, self-remembering is active. Consciousness is active. Consciousness is not passive. It's the passive aspect of consciousness is the receptive aspect. So you don't have to be active to receive but you have to actively focus your attention. You have to concentrate. You have to be, you have to actively direct the conduit and make the connection. Then what what you receive comes through the conduit. But if you passively, you know, you can't like, for example, there's no such thing as passive meditation. This, the, best, the best way to understand this, to experience it, to comprehend it, is to meditate. And comprehend that you cannot passively meditate. There is no such thing. That's called spacing out. That's called doing nothing. And getting nothing done and going nowhere and being nothing. It's called not being. Meditation is very active. And the whole purpose of meditation is to receive information. And the receptive aspect is passive. We don't have to work on the... Re- you can't force reception, right? You can't force reception. It comes when it comes or it doesn't come at all. And anybody who's meditated knows and may, may have felt uh, that... that that frustration of not getting anything in meditation the problem is the fact that you desire something in the first place is why you're not getting anything because your cup is full your cup is full of desire to get something Well, if your cup is full of desire to get something nothing can be put in there you haven't hollowed out your pumpkin you haven't carved your pumpkin Carving your pumpkin requires a knife. That is the phallus. That is the masculine active force. No one and nothing can place a candle and illuminate your pumpkin until until you've carved it out. Illuminate enlightenment comes at the end of doing a whole bunch of work. That work is active. And meditation shamadi which means ecstasy or inspiration or imagination or illumination or visions or any other information that we can receive in meditation happens only after we've hollowed out our pumpkin we've taken out the marrow of our brain we've hollowed it out and we've, we've carved our pumpkin We've prepared ourselves. We've prepared ourselves to receive. But the preparation is active. The reception is passive. Our innermost being, our divine mother, places the illuminated candle inside of our pumpkin. But we've done the work to create the space for that candle. To illuminate us. You can see why this pumpkin gourd image, why it it f- figures so prominently in the book of Jonah and why it is so appropriate Because and why this jack-o'-lantern, this, this carving of pumpkins and illuminating pumpkins is so um, compelling to people. They just don't know why it's compelling. They don't understand. They don't connect the dots that that pumpkin is us and the illuminated uh, candle is the pineal gland. The third eye being illuminated from within. But we've done the work. And we've done the work with the waters. And the fires of the Holy Spirit to make that happen. The belly of the whale and the whole Jonah story. Being vomited out from the, by the whale. We've gone into... Um, um, no, no, you're very welcome, Benjamin. And um, And so... And this whole relationship with monsters and death, and the monsters being egos, and this and that, and the costume we wear to go into hell, but then knocking on doors and trick or treating—all of these, all of these, these symbols are powerful, meaningful symbols, but they've just been degenerated, commercialized, uh, frivolized—if that's even a word—if you can call that—they've they, been turned into um, uh, frivolousness shallow, superficial entertainment, somebody the word somebody used earlier, I think it was Benjamin that used the word entertainment. Um, False idols, idolatry. Right? That's what all of this is. Modern modern Halloween is idolatry. But that's true for modern, every religion, right? Modern Christianity, modern every religion the people go through the rites and the rituals blindly and asleep. And they just go through it and they rhyme things off mechanically and everything else. And it's just a it's just a superficial idolatry and, and superstition. That's the other thing that's Halloween is all about, right? It's all about superstitions. any more questions or comments anybody uh have anything to add or share or um now would be the time to do it we're just putting this up on the screen so you can see it again If people had been uh, coming here to hope to get some sort of uh, insights into, you know, you know, black magic rituals or witches or other things that are typically, you know, the undead, zombies, all this kind of stuff. I mean, zombies are this humanity. We're the zombies. So uh, maybe they might have been disappointed that they, they, you know, we didn't talk about Wiccans. We didn't talk about any of that typical Halloween stuff. but that's because all that stuff is nonsense and any of it that relates to black magic we we don't do black magic so we wanted to give you and at least show you the door to the scriptural biblical origins and you will learn so much about the origins of halloween in other traditions celtic traditions norse traditions etc so But again, the preparation, Halloween is all about preparation for, for the winter, for that, for death and for rejuvenation, for repair and restructuring. And, and so Halloween really is about death and carving out our pumpkin and getting rid of all the garbage. And working with the Holy Spirit, illuminating our pumpkin, taking off our costume. Because that which does not belong in hell, the whale will belch out, will vomit out. Hell will reject what doesn't belong there. And we are in hell, we are in the belly of the beast. So work on illuminating your pumpkin. Work on cleansing yourself of all of your demons, of all of your egos, of all your vices. And guess what? Hell will reject you. Jennifer says, thank you. You have given me lots of good things to ponder and think about during this holiday. Halloween has taken on a deeper meaning for me. Well, we're glad. And if you want to go even deeper, you can go a lot deeper with the links that we sent you. And the mysteries... Halloween this is just um, um, where did it go it doesn't want to show up anymore anyway oh there we go this this article here the mysteries of Halloween it's part of the uh, the lecture series beginning here and now and uh, there's the link again we really do recommend it and you'll get such a such a deeper appreciation for it that it's that it's it's really uh, it's really a uh, mind blowing stuff. As Azil says, that he has no further questions. So if that is the case and no one has anything to add or ask, we thank you for joining us uh, today. We said that we might have our video ready for today Uh, obviously we didn't um we might have it ready by next week but again we said it was all depends on if things happen in the meantime well things happened in the meantime so uh we won't make any promises but what we will say is if we do premiere the video next weekend then what we will do is we will do a youtube video premiere at the, on at uh 205 or something around those lines and then we'll start the live stream immediately afterwards and then we can you know discuss or share or whatever uh about the video itself but that'll be the the way we do it so we'll make an announcement on the premiere when we can and then uh we will we will also do the uh the live stream right afterwards so the video will be in the 15 minute range give or take maybe 15 20 minutes tops and then uh, the live stream will proceed after that but that's the least we can do if we're going to premiere this thing that we will premiere it on our live stream for you guys uh first okay so uh if nothing else then we bid you a happy halloween uh remember your pumpkin gourd remember jonah and uh as always experiential peace And we'll see you again next week.